Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Amen. Amen. Let's make some noise. Come on. All right. Thank you, Eden. So beautiful. Let's put our hands together for Eden. This morning, just wherever you are, I would just like to just lift up a prayer of thanks to God. I would like you to pray out loud, just thanking God for his presence this morning, because he's here. He's here. So just right now, just begin to thank God for being here. If you, if you have a spiritual language, just speak in tongues. Come on, right now, I want to hear it. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for coming and resting in this house. We don't understand it. We're, we're not worthy, God, but we are so grateful. Are we not grateful this morning? Are we not grateful this morning? Amen, amen, amen. Um, this has been a kind of a wild year already, <laughs> has it not? It feels like um, a year's worth of things have happened in a very, very short amount of time. We've had people having babies, people getting ordained. We've got people making some very, very large changes in their lives. And, and all of us are, are buying into a, a greater depth and understanding of, of the Lord and what he wants to do through us. Are we not? Yes. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm blown away by that. The way God works in our lives, working in us and through us, it's just beautiful to make us look more like his son and grow up in in our salvation. Yeah? Who's interested in growing up in their salvation? Yeah. Christina's like, I'm in. I'm all the way in. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I have a lot of unlearning that I have to do pretty constantly. So I keep the Lord pretty busy. Um, he, he's always correcting me and, and teaching me and, and showing me that there's more. I was chatting with somebody last year and, um, you know, they were like, when was the last time you heard from God? And I was like, this morning. And they were like, really? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Like, I hear from him all of the time. That's how yielded I am. That's how much I need him. I need him all of the time. And anytime I'm asking, he, he is very, very happy to, to help me out. Yeah? <laughs> um, he's always teaching me, but more so, um, I'm, I'm the kind of person who always needs correction. So um, as he prunes, he's opening my eyes to a deeper understanding and a revelation of his, his constant love wisdom, and mercy. Amen? And today he's, uh, he's doing very much the same thing. So what I talk about this morning, I want you to realize that it is much for me as it is for you. I'm, I'm going to try to make it all the way through without getting choked up here because the Lord is, is really interested in, in doing some crazy, crazy things this year. Yeah? Yeah? I think the volume of the Lord's pouring out is directly related to the depth of our hunger for him. If you're not hungry for change, wisdom, and growth, hearing from God, you won't get anything. If you're hungry, if you wrestle with self-mortification and understanding your own wretchedness, whether it's your mouth that you can't control, your rage, your lust, survival through your own strength, submitting to your husband, deep brokenness and pain, if you're willing to bring all of those things to God, he has answers for you. He will grow you in ways that your family won't understand. You will respond to the world in ways that will make them scratch their heads, and you yourself will be genuinely surprised at your response to what the world tries to throw at you and how God has changed you. I know I have been. One thing that the Lord has really had on my heart for the last couple of months, and he didn't really give me a word for it until last week, um, was the word victory. Victory is an act of defeating an enemy or an opponent in battle. Two years ago, Matthew did a message, and everybody got this white stone. And he prayed at the end of the service that, as we prayed to God, that God would reveal a word to us that was about us, and that we would write it on that stone. Was anybody here for that? Yeah? DJ, do you remember what your stone said? 
I didn't either, okay? I didn't either. I, I remember that the stone said, Victor. Um, the battle had been won and I was victorious. And I was like, oh, that's a nice, cute word. Cool. You know, I, I got a good word, Victor. Um, and I took that stone home and I put it in a plant pot. <laughs> so I was like, it's a stone. And I could see it every day. And I did. I did for a couple years. It, it was in that plant pot. And um, last week, the Lord picked that word out. And he didn't hit me over the head, but man, it really felt like I got hit over the head with it. Because the first time I received that word, it went in one side of my heart and fell out the other. And he brought me all the way back to that word. And that is what we're going to examine today because I've been so rocked by that. And I feel like he wants to do that for y'all. The title of my teaching this morning is Convinced of Victory. And if you want to turn to Romans 8, 31 through 37 this morning. The Lord is going to help us get convinced of victory. Verse 31. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us. How shall he, not with him, also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? If it is God who justifies, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted for as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God, I just thank you for your presence this morning. Lord, I thank you for this house. I thank you that you are walking amid your people even now, prodding our hearts, and you're getting ready to move. So God, we just yield ourselves to you to a greatest measure, and we ask you to move in this place. And all of God's saints said, amen. The scripture is coming out of Romans, and, and Paul is talking to a church and to a people who are persecuted. They are literally being killed, they're being murdered. And he is telling them that if God is for you, then who can, who can be against you? Um, we've heard the scripture, we've sung the songs inspired by this scripture, right? We're very familiar. And it's true. All of it is true. If God is for us, ultimately, who can stand against us? No one, no thing, no devil, no demon, no enemy, no circumstance, nothing we cannot overcome in Christ. Are you tracking with me, church? If they kill our bodies, we still win. We get new ones. If they crush our lives, we still win because at this very moment in time, we are standing in victory with Christ in heaven. If that's right, then why do so many Christians act like losers? We're going to examine that this morning. Not winners, we act like losers. We don't act like victors, we act like slaves. Why then, even when we see somebody walking in the fullness of their victory, in the fullness of their knowledge in Christ, who he is, who he's called them to be, do we find ourselves resenting them? Because if they had our lives, they wouldn't be able to walk in that full victory. If they had it as bad as we do, if their circumstance looked like ours, we find ourselves resenting them for walking in their full victory. Do we not? <laughs> if we have our most ultimate, truest victory in Christ, then why are we walking around like we have half a victory, a partial victory, or God help us, no victory at all? Verse 35 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Again, Paul is talking about external situations coming against us here. And we live in America. This isn't our lives yet. But what if we t talked about the internal situations that come against us and try to separate us from the love of Christ? 
and we adjusted that scripture to internal. What shall separate us from the love and the ultimate victory of Christ? Shall doubt or fear or my unhealthy relationship with self-pity or shame or my inability to accept grace or my victim mentality or not seeing myself rightly or self-hatred or the voice of the accuser? If nothing can truly separate us from the love of Christ, poured out on a cross, his blood, his body broken, then why are we letting any number of those things separate us from walking in victory? Matt released me to teach a message that I have not fully mastered. That's every time I get up here, okay? So like I said when I first got started, this message this morning is about me. It's for me as much as it is for any of you. And as I prepared and as I got ready, like so many strings coming together, I felt the need in this community. So yield your hearts. Focus this morning. Let the babies run around. They're fine. The Lord is up to something today. Are we ready to lean in? I personally really struggle with feeling like I'm worthy of walking in this calling worthy of leading or uh, worthy of even trusting that I hear from the Lord rightly, which I know that I do. I know that I hear from him. And I think so many of us relate to that. God has called us into something and we have such a hard time believing it, don't we? Me, God, are, are, you, are you talking to me? You must, have left, you must have met this other person, that, not me. That word must be for them. This encouragement must be for them. You must be calling them and not me, it's a mistake. The word says that we are in the world and not of the world. That the only way to get high is to go low. So we go low, we fast, we pray, we worship, we intercede, and we go as low as we can and we begin to go high. We climb up amidst the rocky crags of waiting, wanting, distraction, disappointment. We climb the mountain. And as we climb, the smog that wraps the world in confusion thins. And we find the light breaking through. And before we know it, we've made it to the summit. And at last, we stand in the presence of God. And he speaks to us. And just so you know, that's what that looks like every Friday morning when we get here at 6 a.m. We climb the summit and the Lord shows up. Amen? And sometimes he has a word for us. And other times he just smiles at us. And other times he just holds us because he knows that we're falling apart. But every time he speaks, every time he has something for us, we never go away empty-handed. He has a gift for us, a word, a breath of life, grace, mercy, and healing a gift freely given for us to take up. We have these mountaintop moments of clarity and we hear from the Lord and we love the mountaintop moments, don't we? We love it. We love and we live for the mountaintop moments. But then as we're coming down off the mountain, why are we convincing ourselves that that's not what we experienced and it's not what we heard and it wasn't for us, it was for somebody else? The Lord wasn't calling me to women's ministry. No, no, no. He wasn't calling me to pray for an hour each morning and intercede for the nations. Oh, they took the shoes off. Smart Aussie back there, I tell you what. He wasn't telling me to be bold and as I was, word, as I was moved in worship to dance. He wasn't telling me to give money as a heavenly provision to those in need. He wasn't telling me and calling me deeper into self-discipline because he knows that that would be really hard for me. All the things. And to that I wanna say doubt of self and doubt of God are murderers of the mountaintop moments. Doubt of self, doubt of God, is the murderer of mountaintop moments. Is anyone relating to this, anybody? 
It's just like flying way over the head. No? Anybody? I think the answer to this is pretty simple. And so many kingdom truths are, and we complicate them because we're humans and, and that's what we do. I think first and foremost, God wants us to see him rightly. And as we focus on seeing him rightly, believing in who he is and what he says about himself and trusting him, he pushes back to us who we are and how we need to see ourselves rightly. And I'm going to say this. We can't see God rightly in his fullness and not believe what he says about us. We can't believe what God says about him and not believe the things that he says about us. We can't believe fully when God says that he is good and he is trustworthy and not believe when he says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Some people think that they can believe all the things about God and his nature and then be deficit when it comes to believing what he has said about them. And I'm telling you, it is not possible. It's not possible. If we believe God is who he says he is, then we also too must believe he, who he says we are is true. I slaughtered that. Let me try again. If we believe God is who he says he is, then we also too must believe who he says we are. Can I get an amen? I've been reading Surrender to the Holy Spirit by Haley Braun, and Haley asserts that God plants seeds in us from the very beginning. Truths, gifts, hopes, dreams. And while he's doing that, the enemy is also very, very busy at work planting his own seeds of doubt, fear, rejection, and self-loathing. We all have seeds, good and bad seeds. And Haley says that the seed we water is the one that we give our focus to. So if you're on the mountaintop and you get the seed, and as you're coming down off the mountaintop and there's a contrary seed that tells you that that was a lie, which seed are you going to water with your focus? If the Lord is calling us to minister to those around us through grace and patience and kindness and love, the enemy is going to tell us that we're worthless. We couldn't possibly have anything to offer another human being. We have the choice right then to water one of those two seeds. Amen. Are you tracking? Either the calling of the Lord that he's pulling us into or the fear and the doubt the enemy is going to use to pull us out of that calling. As I've said before, I, I've struggled in ministry in thinking that I'm actually called to this. And I've had some pretty major indicators, both natural and supernatural, that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'll be honest, my level of self-doubt and watering the wrong seed has only hindered what the Lord has been trying to do in me. Listen, open your hearts and receive this this morning, okay? My watering of the wrong seed has been hindering what the Lord has been trying to do through me. And I think it's probably fair to say I've, I've done a lot. <laughs> I've done a considerable amount. But what more could he do through me had I been fully yielded and watering the proper seed, yes? If he can't plant his will in me, then he can't work his will through me. It's like an electrical current that has a pinch conduit. The energy wants to go somewhere, but it can't go through. And it's actually really dangerous when that happens. For me personally, I've struggled not feeling seen, being misunderstood, and feeling less than since I was a kid. As I've shared before, I have a learning disorder and I don't give it a ton of weight in my life. But I realize now that 
it's something that has held me back. And ultimately that there isn't anything wrong with me. My brain just works differently than others. Who's a part of that club? I have turned what was once a hindrance into a secret power, and often it really blesses me. Matt would uh, beg to differ. Because of my ADHD, I get hyper-focused and I leave my glasses and my money and my phone places that I can't find. <laughs> and then he has to go around and try to find it. Um, I get hyper-focused and overstimulated, and my brain wants to fry. Sometimes I think I can do more than I physically can and I hurt myself. Those are some negative things, but mostly I use it as a superpower now. And it's amazing. My brain is able to find efficiencies like nobody's business. They used to call them cutting corners. No, no, they're called efficiencies now. They're called efficiencies, okay? I'm able to translate between two very different-minded people. I'm able to work as a translator and get them to understand themselves. And I'm able to find creative solutions that other people would not even be able to think of, right? However, it was not always that way. When I was a kid, I was made to feel by my teachers and other students that I was stupid. I was placed in remedial classes for math and reading that I had to visit during my normal classes with other students who knew exactly where I was going and what I was going there for and would remind me very vocally where I had been when I came back. As a child, I attended four or five different schools as my parents struggled to find teachers who were willing to work with what was a learning disability. I was later medicated in elementary school to help my focus. Ultimately, I had to repeat the fourth grade. I was held back. I had to repeat the fourth grade. Now, if you didn't have to do that, you know the stigma of people who did. You can imagine. That phrase of, of held back has been one that has hindered me for years in other areas of my life unrelated to my education. Later on, people often ask me why my brother, who's three years younger than me, was only two years behind me in school. And I remember some of the teachers who had me in remedial classes being at my graduation in high school and just staring at me like they couldn't believe I survived. Like they couldn't believe that I was an upright individual who was able to put their pants on and like make it to school or or even graduate. These are things that I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about anymore. I don't. Two weeks ago, the Lord was like, we're digging that up, baby. We are digging that up. Looking back, I see how these, these things deeply marked me with insecurity, anger, and fear. And I'm grateful that around the seventh grade when teachers seemed unable to help me with my education and the larger issue, I'll be honest, was personal application, I took things into my own hands. And if learning was a rock wall and all the students had the same grips to get up the wall, I had to find different handholds to get myself up that same wall of education just in a different way. And sometimes I got up the wall faster than other people did. But no matter how well I did or how hard I worked, there was a constant barking in the background of my mind that I wasn't good enough, that I was stupid, that I was actually mentally defective, and that everyone knew it. So we have a seed of promise that this really spirited kid who does have an IQ that's well above average is going to do amazing things. And we have this seed of insecurity that this kid is actually mentally bankrupt not, and not going to amount to anything at all. And my parents, by the grace of God, chose to water that first seed. And eventually, like I said, so did I. But at every turn in every new endeavor, every time I was empowered to lead or make change, that shadow of doubt has been present always to this day, including this week. The moment I received that word, Victor, I should have stopped acting like a proclaimed loser. Are you hearing me? That was the Mighty Duck moment. That's for you, Scott Fletcher. I should have stopped acting that way. I should have known 
that I had it in me all along because Christ had put it there. And now that my eyes were open to it, I should have let that word confirm in my heart the victory that I already had in Christ. That I'm called, that I'm seen, that he's not done with me. And the voice that needs to be the loudest in my head is not the voice of the accuser, who is the one constantly screaming about my loserhood, my inadequacy. The voice of denial, that what Christ did on the cross is enough to cover my iniquity and shame and doubt and fear. That lie that I have let define so much of my life, I hate to even think about what it has cost me. I hate to even think about how that has hindered me to not being yielded to what God is trying to do through me. Are you hearing me? Knowing that God sees me, he calls me, he doesn't think I'm stupid. God doesn't make stupid things, I'll just say that, yeah? He doesn't call me a loser, he's called me out of that narrative to sit at a table that he has set for me, for you. And honestly, the thing I feel now is the self-mortification of how dare you. How dare you, Adrienne, say that the cross was not enough to cover your insecurity and your iniquity and the shame and the fear that you feel. And even as that shame comes up in me, I can feel Jesus just absolutely throat-punching that thing. Because shame doesn't come from him. He's killing me and he's bringing me to life. He's killing me as he brings me back to life. And hear this, I'm not telling you to put your confidence in yourself, okay? Don't do that. I'm telling you to, to bury your confidence so deeply in Christ that as he is inside you, you will have no doubt in your mind that he's moving, that he's active and he's alive and he's changing you. Are you hearing me, people? I'm going to tell you something that's pretty for real, but it's as real for you as it is for me, so I don't care if it offends you. When we don't accept the grace that God has for us, regardless of the area in our lives, that it's over, your sexuality, your past, your identity, whatever it is, when we don't accept the grace that washes away our shame and makes us able to stand rightly before God, we are forsaking what Jesus did on the cross. We are forsaking what Jesus did on the cross. By continuing to carry shame and letting that determine how we feel about ourselves, we are letting it determine how we feel about Christ. And in that, we are telling him that what you did on the cross isn't enough to cover the guilt and the shame and the doubt and the lies that I've believed. We might not be spitting on the, on the sacrifice that he made, but we're coming pretty darn close. Are you feeling me? Everyone has something. Everyone. Some of us were abused as kids. We were afraid to hear the Father call us beloved and beautiful and chosen one. We hide ourselves from hearing him say that he loves us, that he wants us. And because of that, we push others away. We feel unlovable, so we try to make ourselves unlovable. Some of us were overlooked, and our mouth is absolutely out of control because we doubt that people are ever listening. The Lord is drawing us to stillness, and he's saying, come. Come talk to me. I want to listen to you. I want to hear you. I see you. I've always seen you. No need to act out. No need for others to see you or affirm you. Hide away in me first and let your affirmation come from me. That's the only affirmation that matters. Some of us have done horrible things in our past. And those things are so wonderfully hidden in the death of Christ. But we find ourselves picking them up again and again. And we are in bondage to them for years. Instead of walking in freedom, Jesus is literally taking the shackles off from your wrist. And he's putting them on the ground. And you're picking the shackles back up and you're putting them on your wrists. Again and again and again. Some women who have had sex before marriage 
with other men that they did not marry are tormented by their past. And that past directly impacts their ability to love their husbands and to think that they themselves are worthy of being loved. And Jesus is there, his hands coated in his own blood, ready to wash you clean again and again and again. However many times it takes for that old seed to be dead and the new seed that he placed in you to grow into a tree that is so full of fruit that when single people and other people see your marriage, they say, that's the kind of marriage I want. That's how I want to be loved. And some of us have been so emotionally damaged that emotions are something that we think we can do without. We would be rather be made of stone than feel hurt and disappointment one more time. And Jesus, who felt it all, every emotion of people failing him and betraying him and leaving him and abandoning him, is saying to you, I will take that heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh once more. Everyone has something. Something that is keeping us from walking in the victory that Christ has for us. And I think that we need to see that in all seriousness. The death of Christ and the cost of that salvation We need to be mortified and scared right down to our soul every time we side-eye the gift of grace and accept a lesser portion. 2 Corinthians 4.10 says, We always carry around in our body the death of Christ so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our flesh. I am telling you this this morning out of a place of being absolutely gutted gutted by grace and grateful to be gutted it hurts it hurts so so badly but i would rather endure that pain and be whole than just endure that pain and have nothing he's killing me as he brings me fully to life and he wants to do the same thing in every single person in this house i want my life to be abundantly full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want the fruit of my life to be abundant. But it all starts with a seed. In the Bible, grafting is talked about a lot when it comes to our salvation. And this morning, I want us to look at grafting in a different light. Mexico produces almost all of the limes that we have here in the U.S. A single lime tree can produce 150 pounds of lime in a year. But because of the changes environmentally that they're undergoing, too much water or too dry of a heat, the lime trees are not hardy enough to grow on their own. So they don't start a lime tree with a lime seed. They start it with an orange seed. It's called a rootstock. And they plant that seed in the ground And um, a mature tree begins to grow. That's an orange tree. And they take the bud of a lime tree called a scion, and they cut it in a way, and they cut the orange tree in the same way, and they place those two pieces together, and they wrap it in nylon, and the vascular tissue of those two different pieces begins to grow together and become one tree. And every leaf that that tree puts out that is not a lime leaf, they cut it off. And soon enough, that orange tree thinks it's a lime tree. And a lime tree grows. There are leaves in our life that are from the old man, the shadow man, that Jesus wants to cut off from you this morning. He's grafting in his newness. He's grafting in his Holy Spirit. He's grafting in that victory. And too many of us have been letting those leaves of the old life of the loserhood grow. This morning, he wants to cut you. I know that sounds dramatic and it sounds weird, but it's what it takes. Amen? If God is for us, then why are we against us? Why, why, why? 
We don't have a full understanding of grace, that's why. What it is, why Christ wants us to have it, and how it can change our lives. In a study I did at the beginning of the year, Peter K. Lewis says this, to remember your sin is to forget the cross. To remember the sins that you've already repented for, that have been covered over by the blood of Christ, to remember those sins is to forget the cross. Don't live another day in the shadow of your past. You are not obligated to pay for what you did in your past. Christ has done that. If some part of your past still haunts you, let God's forgetfulness become your own. Does God really forget? No, he's God. So what does that mean? Hebrews 10, 17. I will remember their sinful and lawless deeds no more. God ceases to remember the things that we've done, including the lies that we've let ourselves believe, and that he no longer holds those things against us. The forgetfulness of God. Redemption in Christ makes it like it never even happened. There may be earthly consequences to the things that we do, but in heaven, the slate is blank. Amen? We don't accept the gift of grace and the forgetfulness of God because we are the ones who stand against us. We are. It's Christmas, and as much as you love celebrating the reason for the season, which is Jesus, thank you. Everybody loves to get gifts, right? Everybody loves to get gifts. This was a trick question I asked Christina earlier this week. She didn't know. We love to get gifts. I like to get gifts because I like to see how much somebody knows me and loves me and listens to me. Matt got me the smallest little opera glasses this year, and it was my favorite thing. It, like, literally, because it showed me that he listens to me and he sees me. So somebody comes along and they offer you a gift. What do you do? You grip and rip, baby. You take that thing, you tear all that paper off, right? I asked Christina, she was like, come on, easy question. You grip, you rip. So why, when Jesus comes along with the most beautiful gift we've ever seen, the most beautiful present ever, do we take it from him and we look at him like, what's this? I, I don't just, I can't take this. No one's ever done that. His gift is better than anything anybody else could ever give you. And yet, we don't know what to do with the gift. Sometimes we just leave it on the floor. Other times we tell him that we can't take it. Jesus is burdened for us to take up the gift of grace. How dare I not take that gift from him, yes? From your beautiful, nail-scarred hands. I dare to. I dare to pick up that gift and to kill the other lies inside of me that go against my truest nature. I dare the question this morning is, do you? Do the people of this church dare to take Jesus up on that gift of grace? Christ knows that the moment that we take up that gift in its fullness, we'll be a people on fire, and the enemy knows that too. We're being grafted into a burning bush. And by doing so, we're becoming a burning people and a house on fire. I love this church. I love the bride of Christ. And the Lord is doing some insane things in other churches. But this, this is my home. Amen? Is this your home? And I am shocked by what he's doing here. His presence when he shows up. It is messing me up. And I hope you know that's not normal. <laughs> we had somebody visit Friday morning from another church that they're a pastor at. And they said, wow, I have not felt the presence of God in a room like that in years. 
So I know that we're used to it. But may we never be used to it. May it always startle us. We use words here at TakeOver like ragtag and misfits and if we watch too much Star Wars, rebel scum and holy remnant to describe the people of TakeOver. And I love that because it means none of us are fooled by how unworthy we are. We are startling aware, startlingly aware of our unworthiness. My challenge this morning to all of us is that we see how worthy we have become in Christ. We see how worthy we have become in Christ. We use that word consecrate a lot. And I like that word consecrate because it's sharp and it sounds like cutting and it sounds like grafting and it sounds like burning. Consecrate. An act by which a person or thing is dedicated to the service and worship of God. Hebrew harem to devote. Hebrew nazar to separate. Hebrew kadesh to be set apart. In Greek, tell you to make perfect. I think the Lord is interested in making us perfect today. I think the Lord is ready to cut off leaves of the old nature completely today. I stand before you imperfect, broken, scarred by doubt and fear of man. I'm uneducated. I have no seminary degree. Having been labeled mentally defective, stupid, inadequate by peers and betters alike, but I have bruised knees from praying. (laughs) And I have a rended heart, both grieved and stunned by the glory of God and what he is doing in him and through him and right back to him through me. I have a boldness to claim that I am victorious and that I will choose to walk in that victory every time I take my eyes off the cross and I will remind myself to carry the death of Christ in my body again and again and again until his good and his perfect work is done in me. Amen? The worship team is going to get ready to take us into a song. But there's something that the Lord put on my heart for marriages this morning. So we're going to open up the altar like we usually do. And as the Lord has worked on you today through this message, if you've walked around with a half victory or a partial victory or like a loser with no victory at all. Now is your chance to radically change your perspective on who God says that you are. Because I'm not, I am not carrying this crap with me no more. The things that people have said, the labels that I've had, they are not going to slow me down. And I feel like this is a moment, this is a catalyst moment (laughs) that could alter and shift every single life in this room. We're going to open up the altar. I'm going to pray. You and Jesus do the thing. I'm going to come back up. And if you're married, I'm going to call you up here. Not up on stage. Up here. And we're going to do something that he's laid on my heart. Okay? And if you're not married, great, awesome. You're gonna stand in faith and you're gonna pray over these marriages that we have in the house, okay? Lord, thank you for your presence today, God. Thank you for the revelation of victory. Thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace. 
God, we repent this morning. We repent this morning, God, for accepting anything less than the full victory that we have in you. Any of the things that you've highlighted in our hearts and in our minds this morning, areas where we find it so hard to accept your love and to be seen by you, Lord, I just pray God, with those beautiful scarred hands that your son would just begin to wash those areas clean. That you would wash those labels that we've been given off and away. No matter what people think, no matter what they say, God, that we would step into your glorious purpose. The labels that you give us. Labels of an overcomer labels of a victor, labels of the redeemed. I pray for any of the areas where we have shame. We've repented, we've repented, we've repented, but we still feel shame. It scars our minds and it scars our hearts. God, right now, I just pray that you would come like a roaring fire and that you would burn away all of those lies all of those seeds, God, all of those plants that took root, that you would burn them all to dust, that nothing would remain but a beautiful burning bush. Our lineage, our holy lineage that we're grafted into, God, we accept that this morning. God, I just pray that you'd move so gently amid your people this morning. That you would consecrate. That you would cut. That as you cut away, God, that you would give something more. That you would backfill in the gift of your Holy Spirit. If it's love of self, seeing ourselves rightly, God, that you would allow us to see ourselves as your beloved. If it's self-control, God, that you would grow us, that we would love you more than we love ourselves always. God, we love you. We love you and we worship you, Jesus. Come have your way in this house. Amen, amen, and amen. We can have Eden and Joshua stay, not you, not other Josh. You come down. If you guys want to keep playing, Amy, Kayla, if we can have all of the spouses, congrats 27 years, Stevens. Let's make some noise. 28, 29? How many fingers is that? 29. Oh my goodness. Mom and dad, 35. Yours is 36. 36, 35. <laughs> nice. Okay. I would like all the spouses to come up front. The men are going to stand where Josh is so I can see all your faces. Your wife is going to stand in front of you. You're going to hold hands. Matthew, you're going to come up on stage. You're married to me. Look at your spouse. Turn and look at each other. Sorry, guys. I'm usually a good communicator. If there's kids, if there's babies, whatever, let them lay. Look, right here, right here. Come around, come around. Stevens, you can come around here. Yep, keep coming. Chris, you're missing your lady. Okay, we'll wait. We'll wait. It's important. If all of our non-married folk can come up and come around and witness, face each other. We're going to start with the husbands and we're going to do a vow renewal this morning. Okay? So it's a vow renewal, guys. Vow renewal. So the Lord has been moving on my heart. Listen, Fletcher, knock it off. Listen, 
the Lord has been moving on my heart because there's a lot of brokenness that's take, that takes place in our marriages, right? These are the people that we do life with the closest. These are the people that we hurt the most. This morning, we're gonna rededicate our hearts and our lives to one another. Amen? Amen. Thanks, Eli. So fellas, we're gonna start with you. If you wanna repeat after me, just like you did on the big day, I'm gonna say blank. You put your, your wife's name in there, okay? Look them right in the eye. As intimately as you can profess to your spouse this morning. Husbands, repeat after me. My darling blank, I love you. I have loved you. I still love you. And I choose you. Forgive me for where I have failed you. Thank you for choosing me. Again and again and again. Christ is my witness. I recommit my life to you again today. Will you have me? And ladies, you respond, I will, I do, amen. Amen? Ladies, repeat after me. Blank, I love you. I have loved you. I still choose you. Of all that has come, and all that will come after. I thank you for leading our family. I am sorry for when I have withheld my love. If Christ is for us always, then what can stand against us ever? I recommit my life to you again today. Will you have me forever? Husbands, I will, I do. You may kiss your bride. Lord, I thank you for what you've done in this house today, God. I thank you that this is a new and a fresh start. God, for the things that have come between, Lord, that you are eradicating, you are removing. You're, wake, you're making way for more. God, we thank you. We love you. We worship you, we praise you, and we bless the institution of marriage God given in this house. May you bless it, may you keep it, may you protect it. In Jesus' mighty name, and all of the saints said, amen. Amen, amen, come on. Michael, if you wanna put those lights up for me. Thanks everyone.